Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We are three weeks into a series on gospel culture. We're talking about gospel culture and we're talking about the church's culture. You know, churches have cultures, churches have personalities. Just like everyone in this room has a different personality, churches have unique personalities. I, uh, in a seminary, had a professor who taught on, he wrote a book on church personalities, and he said the, the main determining factor, the thing that usually uh, determines what the personality of the church will be is the personality of the leader. So if you have a leader who is Uh, inspirational, you'll have an inspirational church. If you have a leader who is relational, you'll have a relational church. If you have an entrepreneurial leader, an entrepreneurial church, an adventurous leader, an adventurous church, so on, so forth, expressive church. Well, our question in this series is, what would the church look like if it took on the personality of its leader, Jesus? What does a church with the personality of Jesus look like? What is a gospel culture? We've talked about a culture of gospel transformation, a culture of gospel joy, and now we're gonna look at this morning a culture of gospel welcome. So if you're willing and able, would you stand? And we're gonna give our attention to the reading of God's word. I'm gonna read one verse from Romans chapter 15, and then... Very familiar passage from Luke chapter 15. Hear God's word for you this morning. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then Luke 15, starting at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. So he told them this parable, skipping to verse 11. He said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated, please. This year's Super Bowl between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs was the most watched TV program in history. Uh, 202 million people tuned in for at least part of the game. And commercials have always been part of the draw of the Super Bowl. Let me just be honest, that's why some of you, the only reason you watch is to watch the commercials, right? Well, this year, one 30-second commercial cost $7 million. $7 million for 30 seconds. And there was one commercial that stood out to many people. It stood out to me as I watched, and maybe you saw it too. Here it is. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you. I love your precious heart. I, I was standing. You were there. Two worlds colliding. And they. In the video, you saw a young person washing the feet of an older person, a police officer washing the feet of someone on the street, a cheerleader washing the feet of a skater, a woman washing the feet of a young girl outside an abortion clinic. You see the addicted, the immigrant, people of different faiths, different political groups, different races, different sexual orientations. And the response to the commercial was interesting. Uh, There were, of course, some non-religious people who didn't like it because they don't feel like Jesus belongs in the Super Bowl or anywhere in public, for that matter. But do you know who, uh, that wasn't where most of the criticism came from. Do you know who was most offended by the commercial? Religious people, professing Christians. And this is what they said. You're condoning sin. Jesus would not be okay with washing the feet of that person. Jesus would never, you'd never find him hanging out there. Seven million dollars, that money could have been taken and used for so much good. 
And in all of those comments, they really could have just been quoting scripture because that is exactly the criticism that Jesus is, um, the religious people of Jesus' day leveled against him. They said he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's soft on sin. He welcomes and eats with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. The He Gets Us, the organization behind the commercial, um, has this on their website. They say, uh, we've been accused of pushing our agenda. We thought this might be the right time to make that agenda perfectly clear. Our agenda is to rediscover the love story of Jesus, Christians, non-Christians, and everybody in between, all of us. Now this is an illustration. Uh, I'm not giving any official endorsement of he gets us that may or may not be warranted. But I do believe that when we rediscover the love story of Jesus, as has happened at various points in history, then one of the defining characteristics of the church becomes its radical gospel welcome. The church starts to look and feel like its leader, Jesus, when sinners know that they are welcome to come home. A church of that kind of gospel welcome goes viral. The Apostle Paul said, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I want us to reflect this morning on a culture of gospel welcome. So take your sermon outline, it's on the inside cover of your bulletin, and the first thing to consider is the experience of gospel welcome. Notice that that Paul does not just give an imperative command alone. He doesn't just say, welcome one another. He, he takes the imperative command and he grounds it in an indicative truth. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We could reword the sentence to say, as Christ has welcomed you, so welcome one another. Or because Christ has welcomed you, therefore now you are to welcome one another. This is actually common New Testament Logic, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul writes, be kind to one another, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Or in John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. Here's a fundamental reality that you must understand You cannot live the gospel until you have first experienced the gospel. You cannot give away what you do not have yourself. And so my question for you this morning is, have you experienced the welcome of Christ? Christ has welcomed you. That is the gospel in four words. Christ has welcomed you you. Some translations use the word received. To be, to be welcomed is to be received, but not just superficially or transactionally. You know that when you walk into Walmart, there are greeters there, and that greeter will welcome you. They'll receive you into Walmart, but you don't have a relationship with him or her, right? I think some people think that the, the gospel means that one day 
Jesus will stand at the pearly gates and he will welcome me into heaven like I get welcomed into Walmart. But that's not the gospel welcome. Welcome, the Greek word means to be granted access into one's heart, to be received into friendship. And so the welcome of the gospel is that Jesus grants me access into the heart of God. He pulls me in. I discover that through faith in him, I'm his best friend. I'm his beloved child. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Luke says that uh, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. We read it earlier in the service. It's famously called the parable of the prodigal son. But did you know that there is a parable about a prodigal son in Buddhism? It's in the Lotus uh, scriptures, the Mahayana uh, Buddhism. And, uh, And I was listening to a sermon by Ed Clowney in which he tells it. And this is how it goes. There was a young man who left home and became a beggar and wandered from place to place. And one day he comes to a certain town and there he sees a wealthy man living in a great estate with a princely retinue. And as he looks at this wealthy lord, the young man is suddenly shocked to recognize his father. Here his father has come to this town and he has prospered and now he is a great landowner. As soon as the young man recognizes his father, he turns away and runs away. But as he's running away, his father recognizes him and his father sends one of his servants to go after him. Well, the servant goes after the young man and brings him back. And he's given a job on his father's estate. But the father doesn't tell anybody who this new employee is. And he puts him at the bottom of the ladder He gives him the lowliest task that there is to be found on the estate. And so the young man works for his father day after day. One day the father comes to the young man and stands beside him while he's shoveling and the father makes himself known to him and they know that they know each other but nobody else knows, nobody at all. The years go by, last it comes time for the father to die. Then he calls in all the household and all the friends and neighbors And from his deathbed, he makes a great announcement. This young man, he says, who's worked himself up in my employ, this young man is my son, and he's the heir of everything that I possess. And the moral of this parable in the Buddhist literature goes something like this. So does the Buddha prepare us by disciplined labor for the great reward. So now you've heard both parables, the Buddhist parable and the parable that Jesus told. What is the difference between the two? One word, grace. Grace is what makes the welcome of the gospel so scandalous. You see, all other world religions, philosophies say that in order for you to be welcomed, in order for you to be accepted, you have to earn it. You have to work for it. You have to be good enough. 
Religion says that salvation is for the righteous. Christianity says that salvation is for sinners. Religion says that only the deserving need apply. Christianity says only the undeserving can apply. Look at the quote uh, in your bulletin in the reflection section there from James K.A. Smith. He says, we find rest because we are found. We make it home because someone comes to get us. The prodigal story reframes everything because of how it ends. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The wayward son is not defined by his prodigality, but by the welcome of a father who never stopped looking, who's ever scanning the distance, and who runs to gather him up in an embrace. God is not tapping his foot judgmentally inside the door as you sneak in, crawling over the threshold in shame. He's the father running toward you, losing his sandals on the way, his robe spilling off his shoulders with a laughing smile whose joy says, I can't believe you came home. This is what grace looks like. Jesus is the shout of God, the way that God runs out to meet us. And grace for the prodigal required something. It required the sacrifice of the fattened calf. You see, grace, gospel welcome, doesn't just happen because God says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, sweep it under the rug. No, gospel welcome is costly. It costs the death of his only son. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, was sacrificed. He was forsaken by God. He experienced divine unwelcome. We have been included because he was excluded. He was cast out so that we might be brought in. The Bible says that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, while we were giving God the middle finger, Christ died for us. And can I let you in on a little secret? Something that maybe no one's ever told you. And, and I get that they've never told you this because it's not in the scriptures, but I think it's true. Is that the prodigal, after he came home, after the party was over, and after the dust settled, he left home again. He went into a far country again. He squandered it all again. He got to the end of himself again. And he came home again. And his father welcomed him again. There was another ring. There was another party. There was more wine. There was more welcome. And how do I know that? Because that's my story. That's your story. I am daring you to believe this morning that no matter how many times you run away, you're always welcome home in the Father's house. You know, the guy, the man who went up to the temple to pray, Father, uh, God have mercy on me, a sinner, went home, and the next week he came back to the temple to pray again, 
and he prayed the same prayer again. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Can you believe that this morning? You can come home. You can come home to the Father. It's called repentance. Repentance is returning home. Ray Ortland writes this. He says, whatever darkness inside of you troubles your heart, whatever capacities for wickedness and stupidity lurk within, whatever still haunts you from your past, however fearful you are that you will never change, know this, your sin does not intimidate Jesus. What is right in him far outweighs what is wrong in you. There is more grace in him than guilt in you. He is better at saving than you are at sinning. It is at the point where all of us feel the most disgusted with ourselves, the most hopeless and most worthy of judgment. It is in the worst defilement that we find Jesus the most tender and gracious toward us. He moves toward the needy, the outcast, the messed up, the sinful. He doesn't recoil in disgust. He doesn't keep his distance. He makes the first move. He approaches. He is moved. He reaches out. He heals and restores. This is what it means for Christ to welcome us. Have you experienced the welcome of Christ? Have you believed it? Have you trusted it? For the first time, for the hundredth time, for the 10,000th time. Do you know it's easier to believe in Jesus than it is to believe Jesus? Can you believe Jesus this morning? That he says, if you're weak, if you're weary, come to me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. When the church, when people are experiencing gospel welcome, then it produces a, a culture of gospel welcome. It produces a church of gospel welcome. That's the second point, a church of gospel welcome. Paul wrote the words, welcome one another to a church in Rome that was made up of Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, strong and weak. The gospel breaks down the barriers that the world seeks to erect between us. A church that has experienced the welcome of Christ opens wide her doors to any sinner who will come home. A church of gospel welcome will have in it image bearers of different ages, ethnicities, economic statuses, political persuasions, social convictions, and cultural expressions. I have to confess that um, a few years ago, I found myself, I, I'd forgotten the radical nature of the welcome of the gospel. I had you know, moved here many years ago as an outsider coming in. I had felt welcomed. But now it had been long enough that I started to think and act and believe that I only wanted people like me around me. And so I thought it was funny to say things like, don't New York my Florida. 
I, uh, I found myself thinking ungracious thoughts when I saw an out-of-town license plate. What a unique gospel privilege to be living in Florida at this moment. God is hand-delivering soul after soul to our front doors, and I get upset because I have to sit at the stoplight a little longer. You know, there are some places that never grow, communities that never grow, churches that never have new people visit. I was shocked this week when I looked it up. Can you guess how many first-time visitors we had in this church last year? Last year, we had 1,300 first-time visitors. That's a whole church, a whole nother seven rivers people coming and visiting, 25 image-bearing souls per weekend. What a privilege, what a responsibility, what a joy. The harvest is plentiful, and how we welcome people makes all the difference. As a church, we have a, a corporate responsibility to welcome, and we have an individual responsibility to welcome. So corporately, how do we welcome um, some really practical, tangible things. How we can corporately welcome people into worship on the weekends. Well, one way uh, is that we have visitor parking spots. Not only do we have visitor parking spots, but we don't park in the visitor parking <laughs> spots. We have greeters who convey welcome with the warmth of their smiles friend texted me this the other day, the 70-38-55 communication principle, only 7% is verbal, 38% tone of voice, 55% body language. So if my 7% of words are awesome gospel, but my 38% tone conveys disappointment and stress, and my 55% body language says I'm busy and not present here, that's a problem. So we have greeters, we have um, welcome uh, for those who come here. It means that having a culture of gospel welcome means that we resist holy huddles. Uh, Tom Rayner is a, a church, he studies churches and, and uh, uh, does research and he tells a story, this has happened to, to, to me and my family before in visiting churches, tells a story of going to visit a church, it's about 700 people and uh, you know, so he's got his, his radar up, he's always evaluating what's going on. They come to the parking lot, there are two guys there doing the, the greeting at the parking, one of them talking to each other, one of them kind of like waves at him as they go by and, uh, and he thinks, you know, normally I don't do this but I'm gonna count. I'm gonna count the number of holy huddles that I see. Uh, and, uh, and so as they make their way through the church, all the way through the various places of the church and eventually sit down in the service, he said he passed 27 holy huddles, 27 groups of uh, church people who were talking to each other, enjoying each other. Um, and, uh, and when you go to church, you want to see that, right? Because that's a sign of life. Like people enjoy each other, there's community there, there's fellowship there. But he said he walked by 27 holy huddles and not a single person looked him in the eye. Not a single person acknowledged that he was there. Not a single person welcomed them. Not a single person said, can I help you? Do you, do you know where you're going? The gospel 
calls us to not just wholly huddle up, but to be aware of those who are around us. Rayner says that he went to another church. He was actually the, the guest speaker at that church, and he got there, and a group of people huddled around him, and he felt so welcomed. But then one of the men in the group said, um, Tom, Tom, I'm sorry, excuse me, but I see someone over there who I don't recognize. I need to go say hi to them. And he thought, that's it. That's what a welcoming church looks like. So we've, we've said it uh, before here, um, but it's been a while. Uh, the first five minutes after the service are not for you to go and find your friends. The first five minutes after the service is over, go find someone you don't know. Even if you know, you're worried, like, you're going to say, hi, uh, are you new here? They're going to say, I've been coming here for 30 years. <laughs> That's fine, because they're new to you. Everyone needs to feel welcomed. So the first five minutes, go find someone you don't recognize. Um, don't uh, wholly huddle up with your friends. We have to be constantly reminded of the importance of a welcoming culture. We have to constantly exercise that muscle, otherwise it will atrophy. But I do wanna say this, Seven Rivers. I think that you have done and are currently doing a great job at being welcoming. I hear it from people all the time when they come in and say, it, it just felt like I was at home. I was warmly welcomed. Um, people invited me to lunch afterwards. They invited me to be part of their small group. Um, so don't hear me telling you you've got to start doing something you're not doing. Hear me telling you keep it up. Don't lose the culture of gospel welcome that God has given us. And having experienced the welcome of Christ on Sunday or Saturday night, extend that welcome then individually Monday through Friday. Practice hospitality with your neighbors, your coworkers, and anyone God brings across your path. Invite people into your home. Do as Jesus did and eat with them. But hospitality is more than ministry in the home. Welcome is about receiving people into your heart, taking them in as friends. You can do that by walking with someone. You can grab coffee, you can play pickleball, you can run errands. Hospitality is about doing real life together. You don't need a big home, you just need a big heart. You don't need lots of time, you just need lots of willingness to invite other people into your day. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. A church of gospel welcome is powerful because it has something that the world is not used to. Steve Brown gave an illustration uh, once about he had a friend who uh, was a prominent politician, legislator in another state, and uh, he was accused of corruption right before the election, and he lost the election. But in a trial later, he was acquitted. It was all fabricated. It was all made up by his enemies. He, uh, he got divorced and uh, he ended up doing some bad things, some really bad things. Um, he wasn't corrupt, that was a lie, but he did do some bad things. And now he's uh, working uh, in um, uh, uh, public broadcast in that state, and, and God is restoring him. He's restoring him through the gospel. And uh, this guy went to Bible college. He was a Christian when he fell. 
And uh, when he was at the Bible college, they actually voted him the student of the year. And then the very next year, that Bible college went down in flames. <laughs> and so there was a group of students from his class that wanted to have a class reunion. And they asked this guy if he would write the letter of invitation for their class reunion. And I wanna read you just part of the letter. He wrote, others came to school to live, to love with Jesus, and left fully intending to change the world, or at least their little part of it. And then life happened. We found out we didn't have all the answers we thought we had when we were in class. It would have been wonderful if a chapel speaker had stood up and said, in 40 years, nearly half of you will be divorced. About 20% of you will battle some sort of addiction or will be unfaithful to your spouse. Half of you will have children who no longer walk in the faith that you profess, and about half of you will walk away. Our gathering on April 14th won't be to boast our success in ministry or family life or as parents, but it will be a testimony of our Father's great faithfulness to us and a statement that even in our perceived successes, in our failures, in our stumbling, he held on to us, loved us, and reminded us that we were still his children no matter how well we had done or no matter how big a mess we made out of it. Our event has been described as a glimpse into heaven, for it is to be that. And we want it to be uh, that you know, regardless of your life, what has happened in your life, successful beyond your wildest dreams, or an absolute nightmare, you are welcome. Not only welcome, but your presence is desired. Not so that we can advise you or fix you, but so that we can love you. See, gospel welcome is powerful. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And Paul could have stopped there, but he adds on to the end this little phrase, for the glory of God. So let's end by thinking about the glory of welcome. The glory of welcome. Scholars debate what exactly the phrase for the glory of God qualifies in Romans 15:7. Does it qualify welcome one another or does it qualify as Christ has welcomed you? And as scholars usually do, they make simple things complicated when they don't need to. The answer is it qualifies both. Welcome one another for the glory of God as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That is to say, Christ's welcoming of us and our welcoming of others both give God glory. Think about this. Why did Christ welcome us? Why did he love us? Why did he forgive us, die for us, and rise again? Because it was first and foremost not for us. It was for his Father's glory. We're not used to hearing it said this way. Jesus loved someone more than he loved you. He loved his father. Jesus was consumed with passion for his father's glory. It's only because of that that he loved you. 
So you are secondary. God is primary. Paul says, welcome one another for the glory of God. That is, your primary motivation for welcoming others is not their good, it's God's glory. Their good is caught up in God's glory. They are secondary. God is primary. You know, there are all kinds of places in the world that will welcome you. Uh, Do you remember the TV show Cheers? Right? Sometimes you want to go where? Where everybody knows your name. And they're what? Always glad that you came. You see, that's a kind of welcome. Restaurants know the power of welcome, but it's a selfishly motivated welcome because they know what? If you don't feel welcomed, you won't come back. And there are altruistic nonprofit groups. They seek to welcome people, and their motivation, primary motivation, is the good of the other person. But here's what I want us to see that the church of Jesus Christ is unique. Because the church's motivation is not to be primarily selfish, not primarily altruistic, but primarily our motivation is the glory of God. Christ's followers do as he did. They welcome for the glory of God. Putting God first is the only way, putting his glory first is the only way you can sustain a culture of welcome. If your primary motivation is the, your own glory, then you will ultimately use other people. If your primary motivation is their glory, then ultimately you will become burned out when they no longer thank you for your efforts and you will resent them for using you. Only putting God's glory first can sustain this kind of culture. Last week we talked about joy. And joy is really easy to remember. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Joy. True joy is found in putting Jesus first, his glory, others second, and yourself third. Psalm 115, uh, verse one says, uh, the psalmist says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give give glory. John Calvin said, it is not very sound theology to confine a man's thoughts so much to himself and not to set before him as the prime motive of his existence, zeal to show forth the glory of God. For we are born, first of all, for God and not for ourselves. Calvin said, we all live in a theater. There's a show going on. The problem is we get confused and think the show's about us. Um, I was reading a... a you know, with the Super Bowl, obviously, uh, it's, it's about football, but it was also about Taylor Swift. And uh, so I was reading an article. This, this uh, woman was saying, said this. She said, it's, it's going on two hours since Taylor Swift showed up in my social media feeds. Not a single mention of her music or her man. It's a break many of us want and even need from the pop sensation post-Grammys and post-Super Bowl. If there's such a thing as too much Taylor Swift, America may be reaching a saturation point. I worry she's not doing herself or us any favors at this point. Oversaturation isn't good for anyone. And that's true. Oversaturation isn't good for anyone because it's not about us. Life's not about you. You're not the star of this movie. This theater isn't about you. You're in the theater of God, and he is calling you to be caught up in something bigger, grander, more glorious than ourselves. 
So we started this whole service um, by saying you can come into church thinking and feeling these types of, of things. I don't know why I came this week. This isn't for me. I'm just no good at Christianity. No one here gets me. How long will I be stuck here? Now I hope you might be saying things like this. You mean Jesus is really like this? I'm so relieved I came. I so need this. Maybe there is hope for me. I can't wait to come back next Sunday. Because you've experienced the welcome of Christ. You've been brought into a welcoming church. And you've been caught up in something bigger and grander than yourself. In the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, it still just boggles our minds and is hard to believe that you could welcome the worst sinner in this room, me. Jesus, thank you for your welcome. Thank you for loving us completely unconnected to our merit or worth. Having experienced your welcome, would you drive it down deep and send it out far? Would you help us to be a welcoming church and help us to remember that we do all of these things not for us, not for our glory, but for yours. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.